This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 101. And my conversation was very similar with my students. So I use this January marker to represent the unofficial halfway mark of the year. And, you know, say to them, you're halfway done your journey with me as your teacher. What are we going to accomplish in our last half of the year? Welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ken Herman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I am here along with my trustworthy co-host, Mr. Matt, the best friend, Rogers. Matt, you're a great friend of mine. We are into the new century of podcasts, episode 101. I'm excited to continue this journey with you. Um, your contract has been officially renewed as co-host, so congratulations. What's going on, my man? How's life? Woo! How's school? Give me an update. Yeah. I mean, we're recording this on, you know, the second week of December, obviously it'll come out right before the holiday season or right around the holiday season. Um, so if you are listening to this during the holiday season, congratulations, you made it right now. You know, I know, I feel like I'm up against a wall of just uh, Anthony, my student teacher is leaving this week. That is, you know, disheveling right. so by you have all to means. Start working again. Um, I know it's been really tough on me. Uh, no, I'm I'm excited to see, and I don't know if I, I mentioned this before. Some exciting news that he accepted a role within our school district to continue working um, at Peckway Valley. So we are very fortunate to have him. He has a crazy bright future. Um, Ken, you know, I I mentioned this to you right before the podcast started. We have a friend of the podcast, Mike Azalina. Um, he is a elementary school principal, was in my wedding, you know, one of my best friends, um, had to make a really tough decision related to health uh, related reasons. Um, if you had a chance to listen to his podcast that he did with us about being a principal and the opportunities and the culture that he created. Uh, yeah, show 88. Um, you can tell that he Unfortunately, what will be a very short career as a, as a head principal um, made an incredible impact. And we're starting to see some of those, you know, signs of that impact that he left and uh, definitely leaving his school in a better place uh, to, to steal a line. You usually place at the end of our podcast. So um, because of health reasons and, you know, being smart for his self and his family and friends like myself, he is unfortunately, you know, taking a pause on the principal role. So buddy, we're thinking about you. We love you. Um, and, and we're excited to join you as you, you take on the next journey. But uh, Ken, I know making tough decisions uh, in, in this field is really difficult. And that might be uh, not as all, as often leaving the profession as much as, you know, changing roles in the profession can be really difficult, changing teammates that you're working with, um, even changing curriculum, um, all of those features looking from a different lens. Um, so we all kind of go in different variations of what tough decisions are, but I think we can all recognize and appreciate people that are, uh, put in situations that they rather not be. So uh, thoughts to you. Um, but besides that, Ken, honestly, between, you know, moot, great news, uh, Mike wishing well news, we'll balance out and say, I'm good. That answers the question. How are yeah, you? It's, you know, education. I mean, any profession is filled with tough decisions. And, you know, I think the, the attribute of great, great leaders are the ones that are able to make tough decisions and doing what's best for those that are most affected. And so in Mike's situation, he's the one being most affected. So he had to put himself in a, for lack of a better term, selfish, selfish position to make that decision. His decision by no means is selfish in any way. 
taking care of your own health is not a selfish decision, but I know that's probably what made him take so long to make that. He probably should have made that decision long ago, um, but didn't want to because he cares so much about his community. Um, but, you know, as you, wh whether you're, when you're a classroom teacher, sometimes you have to make decisions that um, are going to go against the grain of your colleagues, are going to go against the grain of your parents. But if you do it in the betterment of students, then there's there's validation in that, or as building leaders, making those decisions that are not going to make every teacher happy, but in the long run are going to be of the betterment of those teachers or of those students. Um, you know, you have, you have to make those decisions. So I am recording from Hershey. So my background looks a little bit different here for those of our listeners that also watch us as well. I'm here for a conference, having a great time networking with a lot of great educators, uh, making connections, I've had a lot of time to talk to instructional coaches from different districts and finding out how they how they implement their coaching model, what some of their trepidations are, what some of their challenges are. So it's it's been a good experience overall. I know we've had this conversation a couple of times on the podcast. I really, really encourage educators to go to conferences. I really encourage it. It's something that I, as long as well as my other coaching teammates, is something that we want to put focus on. Um, now and moving forward of putting into place systems and um, putting into place uh, like just budgets for teachers to attend, attend conferences. So we have one coming up in a couple months that I'm not going to be personally attending. Uh, it's the Pennsylvania EdTech Conference. I've attended more than enough, but a couple of my coaching colleagues are going to attend, but we also have hopefully six, at least eight, or I'm sorry, at least six, hopefully eight teachers that are going to attend that conference. And we're trying to find teachers that um, will appreciate the content and be able to bring something back to our staff, but also like deserve that um, refueling opportunity. Good conferences provide good content to teachers, but also refuel you and reignite your passion as a teacher because you're surrounded by teachers that are passionate to be educators. Ken, I guess, you know, there's there's a few spectrums or, you know, I don't know if silos are a better way to consider it about going to a conference. If you've never gone to a conference and you're going solo, holy smokes, best of luck to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you are a seasoned vet that you've gone to the same conference year after year after year, um, you approach that conference way differently um, kind of speaking to that, you know, if I go you know, to work of people there that you, you can connect with beyond your district. It's astonishing how, when your PLN, your personal learning network, uh, can become, you know, a, uh, face-to-face -face learning network, whether that's going to a, a, a session on someone you followed on Twitter before, or, you know, sitting by a fireplace and, you know, sharing thoughts and ideas and, you know, digging through some of the best things for my classroom have happened at conferences during the unstructured times. But what are some suggestions you might have for, you know, someone going to maybe not their first conference, because I think, honestly, first conference, you are just there for the ride to, to figure out how to navigate a conference more so than what you're absorbing early on you know you feel overwhelmed and you're going to change everything about your classroom when you go back on monday like there is those aspects it is comfortable to go with teammates but what suggestions do you have for someone going early on in their career or maybe they haven't gone to conferences as much to get the the most out of it because i think again my side how do you feel and gain comfort in building opportunities through the sessions, picking good sessions, and also during those unstructured times? Yeah, I mean, it, picking good sessions, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you'll read a session description and title and it won't be what you, you thought it would be. Um, I, I think it's important to go with the lens of picking ideas and picking strategies and then transforming it the way it's going to fit your classroom. Um, you know, e even when I facilitate my own, my own professional development, working with teachers, I'll, I'll try to constantly remind them, I'm going to introduce ideas. I'm going to introduce strategies. It's your responsibility as an educator, as a professional to evaluate the ideas and, and then decide how does that fit your classroom? How does that fit your students? 
And so I think you have to have that same mentality when you attend a conference. It's funny, I, I was sharing this tonight with a, a couple of people that I met. I went to a session last year at a conference that was not anywhere near what I thought it was supposed to be about, but I learned how to create pivot tables in Google Sheets, which is very nerdy. I have leveraged that skill probably six different times in the last eight months, 10 months in incredibly high stakes environments that has made that session worth like three conferences worth of me, of me attending them. I've used it to work in statistics classes in our high school to teach AP stat, to teach academic and honor stat. I've used it to reorganize the entire process for how we evaluate our PLTs and to reorganize the entire way we track our coaching because I learned this one skill. And so I think you have to approach conferences and sessions with the idea of what skills can I learn or what ideas can I learn? What resources can I pull? You know, I was in a couple sessions today where frankly, the content really didn't fit me at all, but I took the entire hyperdoc of content and I emailed it to a colleague of mine and I said, I'm sitting in this session, this stuff is perfect for you. And so I wasn't there to necessarily pull something for me. Well, I was hoping to, but it, it turned out to be beneficial for someone else. So I think having the mindset of, of not, is this a good session or not? I think that's a poor mindset because a lot of times you'll probably say not because it's not what you thought it was. But when you, co when you can go with the mindset of how does this apply to me or to my colleagues, you can probably find benefit in that. Um, the other piece of advice I would say is just be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Socializing is not a, a strength of mine. It's just, I'm, I'm a very much introvert, but I really have pushed myself the last few years, especially attending different conferences that does not contain the PLN that you described. Um, just introducing people, Hey, you know, where do you teach? What do you teach? And just having conversations and, I've this past week, I've met so many people that I've had such valuable conversations with them learning from me, me, me learning from them. It's just, it's a great opportunity to just talk to people. And I, I really think in order for that to, in order for that to happen, you have to step out of your com comfort zone, whether you're here by yourself or you're here with a team. You know, I, I think there's so much value in, in attending those conferences. And it's really why I want to build capacity for our teachers to attend conferences because I think they should be the ones attending the most. Um, if subs are a problem, fine, go for a day. You know, it's, it, it's usually probably going to be more of that than financially because districts do have specific funds that are dedicated to professional learning that probably go unspent year in and year out. Yeah. I'm going to take your list and just add a few more things. First off, you know, I know budgets can be tight. If you can stay over, it is worth it. Um, not just for convenience, but if you're not rushing out and if you are able to just kind of exist, it's amazing. Uh, Hershey has a lobby with a fireplace. They have a bar. They have a ton of seating. And you just see, you know, different pop-ups show up and different topics and conversations that continue. And I don't know about you. But it almost feels like the the first week of college when you're like, oh, I hear, you know, something that I can, you know, chime in with. I don't know anyone. They probably don't know anyone. I can just go out and say hello and, you know, introduce myself. It is a very conducive environment to having random conversations with people you don't know and then going down that, you know, rabbit hole of, of you know, picking someone's brain or feeling like you assist someone. And realistically, that ends up being the most impactful part. And I think we also recognize the more conferences you go to, you realize that if I walk away with three or four new ideas, then that's successful. If I feel like a seasoned person that's going frequently and I'm able to change my mindset or add to a feature or add a resource, like you're saying, then it's obviously a successful, you know, conference. I know we don't want to go down this rabbit hole completely, but let me ask you one more question. When would you consider starting to apply to present at a conference? 
Uh, I would say sooner than later. I I think if you have something that you think is unique to your classroom, something you think that you do that's worthwhile, or colleagues you can pair with, I would encourage you to present. Um, if presenting is outside of your comfort zone, then go once, see what's there, and then realize that you you can present. Um, but it's a it's a great way to put yourself out there. It's a great way to learn about yourself, and the worst thing that happens is your proposal is not accepted and that's okay. It's happened to me plenty of times. Um, or you don't have a lot of people show up to your session or you have a lot of people that show up to your session and they love it. And, you know, I would say don't count yourself short on, on what you have to share the stories you have to share the content you have to share. Um, but you know, if, if you are not, familiar with or comfortable with presenting professional development just in general, then I would highly recommend you go to a conference. It doesn't have to be the conference that you're going to present at or apply to, but just kind of see what it looks like and see, see what the presentations look like. Um, but, you know, a lot of the presenters are just, they're just there to share what they do and for people to gain value from it. It's not like the presenters at conferences are key are, are all future keynote speakers and they're all future, you know, professional development uh, liaisons and stuff. A lot of them are just people that just want to share things that they do as leaders or as teachers that they feel would be beneficial for others. And so my first ever presentation at a conference was on uh, flipping your classroom in the first year that I flipped my classroom. And at most I had nine people that were there. I will, I can picture the room. I can picture the setup and the feedback I got from it was pretty much minimal, but it was an opportunity for me to take a risk and put myself out there and put me on the trajectory of, of presenting more. And so, you know, it's also, if you have resistance for financial support from your district, typically when you present, it's discounted to attend, it's free to attend. Um, you definitely get some financial perks. So if that's a burden that you're trying to overcome, then presenting can be can be a helpful asset in terms of that. I would also say there are opportunities to volunteer at some of the bigger conferences that allow you to go to free. Like I, I work for ISTE, which is a huge um, technology conference uh, for, you know, tech coaches and education in general. It's all across the country and an international organization. There are tons of opportunities to um, kind of acquire uh, ways to go for very cheap or free. Ken, I don't know if you have any horror stories, but I will say that I presented once and I got some of the harshest feedback I have ever received. And that is the downfall that could happen when you present. Was I prepared? No. That's on me, kind of. Did everything work out how I was hoping for it to? No. Um, I had missing materials, what have you. The backstory is I got asked as I was leaving and driving up to the conference if I would present and fill a block of time for a session I had put in months before with no materials, thinking that no one would come to a session that just was added last minute. Hey, we can just have a conversation. Room packed. I had slides and not a lot else, and I got absolutely raked over. I only say that because I really took an ego hit from that. It's not a bad thing. Just there is the possibility to, you know, have a lens uh, kind of focused in on your imperfections, and you have to recognize that that's an opportunity in that position. It was a nightmare for me. And it affected me for a long time and caused me to stop presenting. And then I finally got to the point that I realized, what did I do? You know, I put myself in a position saying I was willing to present when I probably shouldn't have. Um, and how can I be more prepared for every other presentation going forward? So I want to be honest and say, you know, things have not always gone smoothly. I've had presentations that, you know, People clapped at the end and, you know, I, I followed up with people years after a presentation, continuing the conversation. I've presented internationally, like I've been really fortunate, but I've also really fallen on my face and run 
understanding that teaching adults and can I, I'm not speaking about our audience at all, but teaching adults can be really daunting, can also be really negative. A lot of, you know, our gripes in education are, well, it couldn't happen in my classroom or it couldn't in my, happen in my school or it couldn't happen in my district. And that perspective is very normal. Like we all feel our problems, our challenges. And so because of that, when you're presenting, you also have to realize that you're not necessarily trying to solve, you know, system changes that you're just trying to identify how you can frame for kids. So put it out there. I'd rather be transparent, but boy, boy, it took me two and a half years plus COVID to, you know, get back out there and presenting again. But to be honest, it does influence, you know, where you're going and, and the purpose behind it all. And I remember the big shift. That presentation that I tried to put together was turned less about how I could start a conversation for what's good for kids and more a lens of, oh, I've presented for years. Look at how great my kids in my class is. That took away all the value. Um, if you're enlisting any conversation of what's good for kids or you know progress, those type things, you're not going to go wrong. So, yeah, I would agree with that. And, and, um, to, to pivot this conversation, Matt and I are not going on and on here with a insanely long intro to delay reaching a guest. We are not recording with a guest, uh, tonight due to some scheduling conflicts and last minute changes, which is fine because I think at times it's, it's, uh, it's refreshing for Matt and I to just sit down here together and, and kind of recalibrate. It's funny when we started our, our, sh our, our solo shows, lack of a better term, you know, you and I, um, were a little bit more frequent and now it's almost like we never get these, these just, uh, guestless shows because we've just, we've just built some positive momentum and always having a guest, which honestly is the best part of our show. So I, I don't mind that at all. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Um, so this show is going to come out actually on my birthday, uh, December 29th. So future happy birthday to me. Um, as a, It's funny, as a December birthday, I literally could care less about my birthday. I, my like wife wants to celebrate it and my kids, I, I just don't care about birthdays at all. Tired um, of celebrations at that point. Yeah. So, uh, but it's coming out, you know, right before January, right before we get back from, from winter break, the unofficial halfway point of the year, because it's not the halfway point of the year, but, but it, it sure feels that way. Halfway point of the year. Um, you know, that time where you really hit a lot of stride and momentum, um, and just in curriculum and instruction in your management strategies. So I want to just hit on a couple topics with that, that January reset. So from your perspective, what are key aspects from a management standpoint that you feel like you know you're going to hit on in the first two weeks in January? Maybe it's like a little reset or refresh with your kids, but just what are things that you proactively know you're going to uh, incorporate in your classroom in the first two weeks in January from a management standpoint? So the three main things that come to mind, the first obvious one is uh, revisiting all the expectations, both behaviorally and academically of the, the school year. Um, in a lot of times, at least in my classroom, I say, at this point, we are no longer accepting anything that would resemble a third grade level of effort, a third grade level of behavior, any of those features. You are using that false midway point. You are a fourth grader. You need to resemble in all aspects of fourth grade. That threshold of that expectation. To a fifth grader than you are to a third right? grade. And so we say on that first day of school and the first week of school, my job is to prepare you to send you down in the hall to fifth grade. And so we need to be striving for fifth grade style behavior. So you better be at fourth grade at this point. And, and not in a mean way, it's just in an honest way. 
And some of those opportunities are giving a lot of leeway up until that point that kind of tapers, but not trying to be mean, but just trying to be as consistent to that as possible for, you know, that day forward. I also think that like the inevitable, you know, unspoken, you know, reality is testing season has begun and we've talked to a hundred guests, maybe a little less than that, but where we recognize that testing doesn't really matter. What I will tell you does matter is making sure you're preparing your kids to be as successful as possible for it by covering as much content as you can well. Because I think, you know, Ken, I don't know about you, I feel like we, the, the beginning of the year flows into relationships and this LCL and all of this, you know, we're navigating through the holidays and the craziness and all the structure. It is business time when we hit January and the only interruptions besides President's Day and Snow Day is, you know, the springtime coming and, and assessments. Realistically, my only worry is where is my pacing compared to last year? If I feel like I've exposed my kids to enough material that we've covered, you know, the different character traits and the different mathematical skills and the problem solving features, and we've talked through the scientific method enough, as long as I feel like we have gone through there, I'm not saying be prepared for test taking strategies. I'm saying you partner what I said first, which is take it seriously, partner with the way to think about certain scenarios and situations and tapping into those resources. That's what we're starting to emphasize, um, unfortunately, with a pace that often really picks up. Um, and the last thing, and, and I don't know if you want to chime in beforehand, the last thing I'll just say is goal setting. And that kind of ties all of those concepts together. Some of the kids are having goal setting related to subject areas. Some are really prioritizing maybe behavior and, you know, whether that's executive functioning, whatever is getting them in the way of not making January and February the most productive academic months in their school year. That is what the goal setting really becomes. And that's where, you know, our emphasis becomes uh, coming back in those next two weeks. Welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed the break. Let's get after it. So that's my answer. Where would you take that? So uh, I'll say first what you said last, the goal setting piece. I think it's a great time to do goal setting. If you've not done any goal setting with your students, then it's a perfect time to start it. If you have done goal setting with your students this year, then I think it's a great time to revisit it. Um, I am personally, this has nothing to do with education, but just personally, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I think it's a it's a terrible time to just like start a random goal. I think there should be more systemic approach for yourself in accomplishing goals. But it doesn't mean that you can't goal set in January. Um, but I, I think it's important to expose students to those ideas and, and how it relates to your classroom, how it can relate to their own personal lives. But to answer the question overall, I agree with everything that you said. 100% in terms of the meat of instruction, the meat of the, the meat of content in the, in the school year, but I'll take a, a very different approach. Oh, I um, can't wait. Wait, <laughs> wait to, you know, your kids are doing everything for you. Let's hear it. Go ahead. Exactly. So when I have, when I had fall conferences, when I taught fifth grade, I was very clear with parents after my first probably four years, um, when I was able to develop this perspective, I have 180 days with your students, with your children, really. I have 180 days with your children because I'm talking to the parents. I'm a quarter of the way through that journey. I haven't critiqued them much. I haven't, I haven't tried to direct their behavior, change their behavior, because I wanted to spend a quarter of that time observing truly who they were, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were, and, and where there was opportunity for Mr. Ehrman to push them to grow. And so now I'm going to spend the last three quarters of that year trying to help your child to grow, to be challenged, to 
you know, overcome some difficulties, whatever, whatever that spectrum was. So that was kind of the perspective that I developed with the child development, you know, with, with my students. And my conversation was very similar with my students. So I used this January marker to represent the unofficial halfway mark of the year and, you know, say to them, you're halfway done your journey with me as your teacher. What are we going to accomplish in our last half of the year? What are you going to work on? What am I going to work on with you to help you grow and thrive as a person? And so using it as a time to, yes, reset uh, expectations, reset academic expectations, reset academic goals, but also to, to signify the halfway mark of our relationship and to say, our time is going to come to an end as, you know, this everyday interaction as, as teacher and student, I'll always be your teacher. I'll always be here for you, but we only have half the year left. You know, what are we going to accomplish together? So really signifying that relationship together. Um, and regardless of what you teach, you can take that approach. Some teachers, especially at the, at the secondary level, you teach semester courses. So that halfway mark is going to be the end of the first quarter. You can have that, you can have the same conversation I'm describing right now at the end of that quarter. Some teachers actually only see kids for a quarter of the year because they rotate every marking period. And that's a much different approach. That's a, that's a huge challenge in covering content in delivering in delivering that curriculum as well as establishing relationships, but it doesn't mean you can't. It doesn't mean you still can't have the same conversation. It just has a little bit of a different look. Sometimes those teachers have the opportunity to work with students over the course of multiple years. So again, that's a factor, but just the idea of, you know, it is a great time to reset so many things, but I encourage everyone to think about how are you resetting your relationships with your students as well. I think you bring an interesting point up. Uh, I, I don't know if I can respect and maybe you can tap into what what are the challenges to that midway point for a semester long or you know quarter long teacher that you know in that high school realm I have my kids and maybe I rotate and you know I teach all my kids math and I send them off to some other classroom to teach ELA that's a possibility but that's the most um, upper elementary high school level is, you know, going through rotations based off subject areas. What are some of the challenges that you would say a student entering a classroom in January that we as year long teachers with a group may not face? So you're saying a teacher that's going to have a student for the first time at the end of January. Yeah. So say, say you get halfway through the year and you're having kids, you know, it's a tough time to start up with a new group. You know, you're, you're wrapping up and then it's a hard transition to a brand new group that you're, you know, trying to develop relationships and, you know, I would imagine create great academic experiences. What are some of those things that you've witnessed that, you either see teachers doing really well or how do they navigate making to me January is a get down to business time whereas for some teachers it has to be back to that relationships not saying that relationships don't matter to me right. but that's right, right. not my emphasis yeah i think that the challenging thing is you know those teachers are for the most part unless they're new to it or they're they're in a new position what altogether they're used to that schedule idea of courses academically ending halfway through the year beginning again and ending at the ha at, at the end of the year so they're they're probably used to that academic rigor i think one of the challenges is in august everyone is in this same mindset of relationship building i have my new class i'm going to meet my new students i'm going to establish those relationships i'm going to i'm going to focus on classroom community Whereas come January, there's zero elementary student, elementary teachers in that mindset. And there's very few middle school and high school teachers in that mindset because it's a very small subset of teachers that have that schedule. 
unless you're you're in a block schedule format at at the high school level. So, um, you know, you're like you're not you're not surrounded by that same mentality. You know what I mean? So, and as a teacher, you might have two classes that are still going and two classes that are are resetting. So it's just that idea of like, I think what's important for those teachers is to not lose sight of that January time being the same as that August time. Like, don't, don't get caught up in the hype of what January is typically of, you know, the meat and potatoes of instruction. It's, it's classroom culture time. And so when you're resetting a class, you still have to spend that same, that same amount of time that you would have with with your students in august i get i could just see you know the pressure of you know you know end of semester getting grades in high level conversations restarting you know midway through the year can be a little daunting um it's definitely difficult because like you just said you're you're ending a class and starting a new one so you are you're still wrapping up all of those final grades with one and, and starting starting a new with another so it's definitely something that is unique and challenging in that, in that sense. I will, I will tell you real quick before you, you know, not to take this a a different direction. One of the things my district was talking about as the elementary specter was um, ending your grade level with your teacher in, you know, a set time in May. And so the last few weeks of school, many of the students, much of that time would actually be in the hands of you with the upper grade. So, you know, a fourth grade student would go to the fifth grade teachers and the third grade students would come up to the fourth grade teachers. So you would essentially, when you're not really teaching anything, not that we aren't, but you may in an elementary classroom has, you know, many different variations between, you know, field trips and what have you. But I love that concept of could we get ahead with that you know, relationship building in a week time post assessment, you know, window and get that jump start towards that new school year that you don't have to necessarily have your homeroom teacher picked, but just that idea of, hey, we're going to set our fifth grade expectations when you come here next year. Here are some of the interactions. Now you know me. There's comfort. So you can kind of feel like you come back in the new year with this perspective of, can I launch into learning a little bit sooner? To play to play avid, devil's advocate to that, do you think that that would, I don't want to describe this, do you think that would delegitimatize the importance of relationship with a teacher because you covered relationships at the end of the year so that you can start academically sooner? Yeah, I think it's a good point. Um, I don't think the emphasis like is, that, is it all, it, is it authentic in what, in what you're trying to accomplish or is it trying to be efficient with the timing of the school year to cover relationships? I'm thinking that the concept behind it is you have a lull in educational value at the end of the year, how could we boost that being beneficial by giving you preview? The emphasis is probably not, hey, retain this relationship building for next year. Instead, it's here are fifth grade expectations. This is how the classroom functions. This is how things line up. So that instead of spending what could be a month of school, could possibly be two and a half weeks when you come back with a set schedule, you know, could you get into core instruction sooner next year because you were specific about how you use the time when, you know, frankly, between field day and field trips and, you know, uh, special assemblies and school kickball games and, and those type things, is there a way, maybe that's a half a, half a day, maybe that's, you know, a week, that sounds like a lot. Um, I, I don't know what that buffer is, but it was a conversation I was really fascinated by that, you know, not completely related, but just something to think about. Yeah, for me, I, it, it doesn't jive with me because um, I would miss my kids by all yeah, means. You know, like when, when we talk about the end of the school year and I'll relate this back to, to January in a second. 
I didn't want to give up that time with my kids because of what I just talked about that 180 day journey. I wanted every one, I wanted every one of those days with my kids as much as possible, you know, minus the days that I had to, to take personally or, or those, those types of things. Um, you know, teachers would talk about like, Oh my God, I can't believe on the last day of school, we're not having an assembly or like, like, what are we supposed to do with these kids all day? I'm like, I want that last day of school. Like I, I want to just do silly things. Like I didn't take my kids out for extra recess because I didn't want to just let them run around and just do nothing. Like I wanted to literally be with them on those last few days. And so I, I think that almost delegitimatizes the journey that you take together on that 180 days. And, and that's why I like January so much because I, I wanted to emphasize that with my students that, you know, I didn't think the 180 days with Mr. Ehrman was the most 100 was the most important 180 and day 180 days of their life. But I wanted those 180 days to be meaningful in some capacity and recognizing that I am here to help you overcome something, whether it is academic struggles, whether it is being good in math for the first time in your life, whether it is recognizing some strengths you have as a person or an individual, there was something I wanted my students to understand that there was something that they could gain from me in some capacity. Some may see it as a small, minor, completely minute blip on the, the radar of their life. And others might say like it was a life-changing moment for them. And, you know, I, I very well recognize that every student was not going to say Mr. Ehrman was, you know, the one that changed the course of my life. Maybe one student in all of my years will say that, but I wanted to, I wanted them to recognize that there was something that could happen in our time together that would be something somewhat significant to them. And January was a time where I was like, you know, if this hasn't happened yet, we only have a little bit of time left together. And so, you know, I just think it's so important for us to recognize the time that we have with students is so valuable, but also to get our students to realize that the time they have with us is, is just as valuable. And, and I think the end of the year is a great time to celebrate that. And January is a great time to um, put a checkpoint on that. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and to kind of turn that conversation more towards this time of year, because, you know, we could be. Uh, hey, we can cheers and celebrate the end of the school year already. Um, unfortunately, it is still December. And like you said, we haven't even made it to the midway point yet. In this realm, you know, we talk about that question of the school year going in waves up and down, you know, and how do we power up through those those moments of struggle? I, I know that kids need indoor recess to not be indoor recess. I think we all get it. And the hard part is where we live um, in Pennsylvania, that is not a realistic opportunity. You know, from tomorrow until most likely February, there are going to be more indoor recess days by a long shot than there are going to be outdoor recess days. How do you feel like you can switch the focus and how do you feel like even I'll, I'll tap into, you, you know, I'll give this as a, you know, a softball toss to you in your style of having kids, you know, run the classroom. How do you recreate structures, recreate situations and reaffirm kids making the right choices when, you know, this time of year is when they're going to most test them. They're getting, you know, the, they, they, the energy is flowing out of their body in ways that they're not wanting it to, but they can't control it. So how do you mix empathy with the idea that, you know, you've spent 70 some days setting expectations and they physically cannot handle it and you see, hey, it should operate this way and it's not. So how do I how do I work past the idea of the expectations that we've set, the goals that we set as a class where they at this point of the year become really comfortable and feel like they can push those boundaries. 
Well, and I think that, yeah, and I'm just kind of more so from the lens of if you're encouraging everyone to head towards this student-centered learning, which I think is the right thing, how do you remind yourself that progress in this is not linear and to not get frustrated when there's a lot of factors that could be contributing to why, you know, the kids are not being successful? Not, not being mature enough to handle it, not able to put the same amount of effort they did maybe in November, those type things. I think it's having realistic ex expectations for, for what you're hoping to see from them. Um, you know, I think it's natural to push your expectations past what you expected in October, in November, um, but also understanding that your expectations should have a barrier like there's only so far I can push my fifth graders. There's only so far I can push the the teachers that I'm working with now. Um, it just because I I brought them from point A to point C from October to January doesn't mean I can push them from C to E. You know, in in February and in March, like D might be the farthest I can push them. I've just I've been able to get them there sooner than May. Um, and so I think it's important when you're working with students to understand, um, you know, where they've come from and where you're trying to get them to go. And also, I think this time of the school year is very important to look at the individual of what, what am I looking to accomplish with the individual? So there are some students that I'm looking to um, really support in helping them overcome some some social difficulties that they're having in terms of in in terms of working in a flexible working environment where they they can't make the decision to not sit next to their friends they can't make the decision to not talk the whole time instead of doing their work and so that individual I have to set different expectations for to literally tell them where they have to sit and and who they have to sit near because they can't make those decisions themselves whereas others have learned how to thrive in an environment of choice. And my goal with them is just to make sure that they don't fall off of that, that trajectory. So, you know, I, I think come January, we've talked about this with, with behavior expectations, the difference between, you know, being very black and white, having clear expectations for students, they know where the line is. And if they step over the line, the reaction they're going to get from their teachers, but also being very individualized and empathetic with students to understand why their negative behaviors might be coming out. You know, I, I think it's okay to pull a student aside who has clearly stepped over the line and everyone in the class knows they stepped over the line. You pull them out to discipline them in quotes, but you actually just have a conversation with them, show some empathy, tell them to go back into class and act like they got into big trouble, right? So the whole class still knows the line, but that student knows that you care about them and you recognize that. And come January of this time of the school year, you should, you should be able to know whether you teach first grade or you teach five periods a day in 10th grade, 11th grade, you should know your students at the level of what you can expect of them as an individual and be a little bit more personalized in your expectations for those students, a little bit more personalized in your goals for those students. You can still uphold your basic expectations you have for your classroom, but I think you can recognize where the individual falls on that spectrum a little bit more. I think it's a really hard thing to understand though. And like, I don't know how far it took to get into your career where it was acceptable. You know, I would concede to certain kids and that I wouldn't concede to others based off what was happening because of not necessarily the relationship, but maybe the contributing factors or, you know, what was a big deal for one kid may not be a big deal for another. And it took me a long time to realize that it was okay to make that differentiation. Um, and, you know, the kids want things to be fair, but uh, fair and equal and, you know, equity and what those type, you know, distinctions are, what, what each kid needs can be different and that's okay. Um, one of the things that I, 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 I don't know how long it took me to get to that point in the career. And, and I appreciate what you're saying where it's, you know, you've gotten to the point where you can personalize it. 
your goal is to get there as soon as possible, obviously, but you know, it's not, it's a management feature. It is not a, uh, be stubborn and stick to it feature. And I think sometimes we get lost in the idea of winning compared to a nine-year-old or, you know, a 12-year-old feeling like we get the win. Usually when we leave feeling like we won, we probably realistically lost that scenario. And that's really hard as, you know, in this time of year, we may be showing up grumpy and frustrated and, you know, wishing the sun came out longer and the, the temperatures were warmer, those type features. The last question that I have for you, Ken, is mid-year data. Mid-year data, you know, by standardized realms has always been something that I've struggled with because my kids always do poorly in. And what I realized, part of that was the kind of, you know, am I focusing on good pacing? Could I improve that pacing? Do I need to buckle down and get to work? That is absolutely a contributing factor. But I realized that I, in the style of caring for kids, am very, very systematic about my expectations that allow me to accelerate like crazy on the back end of the school year. So naturally, my kids are always behind. Even my highest profile, you know, there is no reason they should be doing poor scores. You know, they are around the same level every single year at mid-year, you know, assessments. And I'm called into the office for a data meeting and I'm sitting there explaining, hey, like, I, I, I don't know what to, to say. We're trying, we're doing what we can. And then we revisit that conversation three months later and things are, you know, a much different place. So my only thing, and this kind of is in that reset of if you are with kids year, year, year round, and you've listened to some of the things that we emphasize through this podcast, recognize that there is give and take and that give early in the year will turn into, you know, fruitful progress on the back end of the year. If you're doing it for the right reasons, if you're putting that energy into the kids, if you are, you know, doing your best day in and day out, I talk about it the same way I, I, I specifically say my kids will run through brick walls for me because of the experiences I create. I've said that probably 40 sometimes on this podcast. That is my emphasis. That is where, you know, I never have to worry about my performance because my kids care about me at the times that unfortunately I wish they didn't have to go through, but we've created that relationship and say, you know, try to take it seriously, do the best you can. And, you know, it always works out in the end. And um, just something else to recognize, because I think this is a hard time of year where we're looking for what are those problems, what are those adjustments? If you can come into that conversation with an open mind, you'd be blown away at the adjustments you can make, simple adjustments you can make that make a really productive back end of the year. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and you know, on, on the data piece, I think it's an important time. You're, there's typically going to be benchmarks involved with your district and, and what they're evaluating with students. But I would I would encourage teachers, and I, I've talked about this, like especially in our, our Teach Like a CEO episodes, that you should be creating opportunities to collect data yourself throughout the year. So, you know, mid-benchmark and end-of-the-year benchmark scores should not be a surprise to you because you should know where your students are at. Um, and also to, to circle back what you were saying with like getting comfortable with in your career as a teacher, making those personalized behavior decisions. Um, I think when you are approaching situations with true empathy and the student in mind, you're never going to lose. Um, for the most part, there are situations where it might not turn out perfect, but you know, when you, when you pull a student to the side. So they've clearly crossed the line in your classroom that everyone knows exists and you pull them into the hallway. And let's say you have an empathetic conversation, you realize there's more depth to what you observe than you initially thought. Discipline's not necessary. But And, and I have done this. I have said to kids, act like you got in big in trouble when you, when you go back in, right? Let's say that kid tells, and very likely that kid tells his two best friends, 
you know, man, you'll never believe this, but like Mr. Ehrman actually totally left me, let me off the hook. I, I believe that my integrity as a disciplinarian was not affected at all in that moment. And my integrity as a person was strengthened because kids, regardless of age, are perceptive enough to realize what true empathy and recognition of situations looks like. You know, the way I treat a second grader in that moment is going to be very different than the way I treat a fifth grader in the the language I use, which is going to be very different than a an 11th grader and the language I use to express my empathy in that in that situation. And so I, I don't think it reduces your integrity as a disciplinarian when you express empathy towards someone on an individual non-spotlight situation. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there's no way of formally building that confidence other than just trying to be a good person, trying to understand everything that's going on in, in the situation. Um, and, and even just leveraging, you know, different opportunities. Like there were times where I put my neck on the line for particular students that got to the point where I couldn't keep putting my neck on the line. I had to send them to the next level, which was our principal, but also calling the principal and saying, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's who's coming. Can you make it seem like, um, you have to suspend them? but I am, I convinced you to not suspend them, right? So my principal was able to maintain the role of like the last line of, of discipline and saying, I should be suspending you right now, but Mr. Ehrman has vouched for you and said, please, please, please do not suspend this student. So I'm gonna let you off the hook this time, right? And so another layer of empathy that doesn't disrupt or um, like disregard the disciplinary actions that should be in place, but expresses empathy. And at some point, if that student obviously keeps on that trajectory, they're going to get suspended. But, you know, just looking at those layers and, and I, I don't think that's something that we can do in October or November because we don't understand our students as a whole yet. You know, especially if you have them for the year long, um, if you have them for a semester, it's, you maybe you have to expedite, expedite that in some capacity. But, you know, this is the time of year where we should really, really, really know our students and really know what they need, both academically and emotionally and behaviorally, and really start to personalize the experiences they see from us and the interactions they, they receive from us. And I just think it's such a special time of year to get the most out of them because this is, this is the time, like you said, where you can, you can hit instruction at a stride, like you couldn't in October, but we can also hit the empathy and the behavior and, and all of those other, and the relationships in a stride, like we can't, we can in October and really carry that momentum from now through till the end of our time with them. Said very well, my friend, very, very well. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, we're, we're at a time in the year where it's a buckle up and, you know, do some incredible things phase of the year. And that is, that is maintenance. You know, the beauty of a really good front end of the year is being able to just do little maintenance along the way to keep what you have going. And if, you know, you find yourself having to, you know, come up with new behavior management strategies or, you know, new motivating factors and these type of things, maybe you have to consider a little bit bigger overhaul, but save that for next year. You know, think critically about what that structure is, what is putting kids in position to be successful and what are those, you know, boundaries that you're setting firm enough that they can visualize, they know it without even, you know, guessing how things are going to turn out. Um, that's where you can tighten up and that helps you and it definitely helps them as well. Absolutely. So I think that's a great note to close this on. Um, I want to thank all of our listeners and our viewers for continuing to interact with us on a weekly basis. If you have not already, if this is the first show you're listening to or watching, please subscribe to us. 
um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you're using to download and interact with these podcasts. Please leave us reviews, comment on comment on the shows, reach out to us on social media. Everything's at Power Edu Up. Uh, we love to interact with our with our growing audience. Find out what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of and hear more of. So. Thank you for what you do in your classrooms. Thank you for what you do with your students. And Matt, why don't you take us on out of here for the first episode of the second century of our show? Oh, my goodness. So as we power down this episode, hopefully we left you feeling powered up. You know, enjoy this break and let's hit the ground running when we come back the next school year. Well, next calendar year. We got a long time till the next school year. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.